go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Shark, 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 shark. Welcome to the latest episode of Rallon's Rants, and I'm joined today by Kaylee Burns. Kaylee is a conservationist and free diver who works as a safety diver for One Ocean Diving. Kaylee, thanks a million for coming on the show, and how are things with you today? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Everything is great over here in Hawaii. It's actually finally nice weather again. So, yeah, everything's wonderful. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. We're it's uh, what is it? Five past nine here in Dublin, about seven degrees. So I'm sure it's uh, <laughs> not exactly relatable to the sunshine you're probably having. So yeah, a little different time zone and and weather. So to to start things off, I'd I'd like to bring you back a little bit in time and to your childhood specifically. You were born near Philadelphia, and what sort of memories do you hold when you think back on your early years as a child? Um, so yeah, I was born outside, um, just outside of Philadelphia, and um, it was definitely a good childhood, pretty normal situation growing up, I would say. Um, I was always really supported by my parents, but I do remember, you know, when I was young, always having this <clears throat> desire and sort of fascination with the ocean. And luckily, um, especially my dad would kind of take me to explore that um, love. So I remember really fondly going on different whale watching um, excursions and things like that. And I was just that little kid that was watching the little mermaid on repeat and like free Willy. Mm. That was my generation. Um, so I always had this fascination growing up, but besides that, my childhood was really normal. And I'm really lucky because my parents always instilled in me that, you know, to follow your dreams and, and you can do anything that you want. So I'm really lucky that I had those positive affirmations, even even being really young. I think that's what allowed me to make the bigger leaps in my later years. And and did you, you said there you, you were always encouraged to follow your dreams. Was, was there a, a moment where you wanted to pursue a certain thing in college or anything or was it yeah for me um I did go to college and everything like that the kind of typical you know when you graduate high school you go to college you find a job that's kind of like how the world wants you to work right and then you're out into the workforce and it's kind of like that's society's version of like what you should be doing but um as I was going through my college years you know I decided that um for me I really wanted to travel. And I think that's actually an amazing thing. A lot of times in places in Europe, I'm pretty sure Ireland is the same, but they really encourage traveling oftentimes before people go to uni. And in America, we don't really have that, but I felt the desire. So I definitely had an encouragement from my parents, even though I chose, I wanted to go to, you know, third world countries. I wanted to go down, um, travel South America and I wanted to go by myself. And, you know, I was still really young, um, maybe like 19 or so. So that was really scary to them, especially because they didn't really have that desire to go do those things and bad things can happen, but they still supported me. And I think that was really key, um, especially for me during that time in my life, I think, it's easy to get off track as far as um, 
you know, you just don't really know, you don't really understand life yet. It's like, you're kind of going from being a teenager, getting thrown into adulthood and you don't really know how to navigate that. And for me, I needed to travel because I think travel opens up your eyes to different cultures, different parts of the world. It makes you actually really grateful for what you can have at home and, and things like that. So uh, I'm really lucky that they supported that because from there kind of everything changed once I began traveling. Mm. So like that was more of a kind of an independent thing it was more of a searching for your your life's passion or stuff like that like it was more so you taking the initiative to go travel explore and as you were saying there at such an early age you were kind of coming to terms with who you are what you wanted to be and you said there and I've read that like there was some struggles during that time so like how big of a part did traveling as you said spending time away from home allow you to basically you know, build up the confidence within yourself and ultimately lead you towards your passion uh, a few years later down the line? Yeah, honestly, for me, travel is really all where it started. I think I just, I recognized that I felt stuck. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I mean, honestly, who really does at 18? I think that's why it's so important to travel outside of high school a little bit, whether it's with friends, whether it's independently, but I was kind of really down. So what I needed to do was like pull myself fully out of a slump, out of a rut, and just this feeling of like kind of stuckness and not moving forward. And I don't even know where I want to go to move forward and all of that. And I need to be selfless. I need to like look outside of myself into the world to find out what, what I can do, how I can help. So what I actually did was I chose to go volunteer, which I would also recommend highly, um, more than just even just traveling just for leisure, because you know, sometimes that just ends up in like a big party. But I'm yeah. really lucky that at least I had a little bit of wisdom enough to be like, hey, I want to go do something amazing. That is for other people that doesn't necessarily fully benefit me, but it's like, you know, I get the residual benefit. So what I did is I went off and volunteered with some kids um, in Ecuador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and spent, um, you know, probably at least six months in these places um, volunteering with kids and seeing how little they had and yet were the happiest humans ever was Mm so amazing and it really just made me so grateful for what I have and sometimes you don't realize like what you have until it's kind of smacked in the face and definitely at that age at 18 I mean some people are born with this kind of knowledge but for me I had to go out and I had to seek it and I had to find it and from there um, it just helped me the gratitude I think was like the main thing once I had that uh, knowledge of how lucky I was um And, you know, a lot of us in these like first world places are so lucky and we don't even really realize how lucky we are. So I really encourage you to take time and go. And from there, I had dreams. I wanted to join the Peace Corps. I wanted to keep traveling. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But um, somehow I felt this calling to Hawaii fully not where I thought I would have ended up. It was totally out of the blue. And I had never been there before. But, you know, again, I had that support from my parents as sad as they were to see me go. Of course, that's so sad. One of your kids, you know, moves literally across the country, halfway yeah. across the world. Um, but they they did let me go. And I just showed up here with two bags packed. And then the next part of my adventure kind of started. No, that's it's definitely interesting to hear, especially with that um, overcoming, 
your own struggles through actually helping other people. That's definitely one of the one of the things I've heard that tends to work. And you you mentioned there when you moved to Hawaii and you had the full full backing of your parents. Like what was there a particular moment or was there a person which made you move? Because as you said, you did a lot of traveling. So what what really made you go, you know what, I'm going to Hawaii, I'm packing my two bags and I'm going to try and make this work? Yeah, I had a few places in mind. So I knew after all that travel that, you know, how do you just have these life major shifts and experiences and go back to the same place that you've always been living? For me, that wasn't really an option. I was like, I need something new. I need to keep this momentum kind of going. And I did have a friend that was out here, um, an acquaintance from college. So he offered me a couch and that's really all I needed at the Mm. time. So I had the couch to sleep on and I got a moped. So um, I would say, you know, it is really scary to up and leave. And I kind of did have that mindset. I was like, okay, this could work or it could not work. So I'm just going to be open-minded to that fact. You know, you you can never predict it fully what's going to happen. So for me, I was like, I could end up in Hawaii for three months. You know, I have like a couple grand, you know, college students. So I'll see how long I can make this last essentially. Or I could end up there for three years. I have no idea. And I honestly ha- had plans not to stay here forever. My goal was to see and travel as much as possible, um, which of course I still try to do. But but at that time, I did not want to settle down. I thought, hey, I'd go out there for a little while and then end up in Australia because it's really easy for Americans to get working visas to go to Australia. So I had this mindset of go, go, go. I'm going to keep living all around the world. But you know, sometimes there are those places where you land and it feels like home. And for me, I was so welcomed by the people, by the land, like everything was just going my way here. And it felt really nice and I felt really supported and it just felt like home. And it the it pulled me in to stay so much. And especially after meeting um, my fiance now, Cam, and the relationship, loving and working that we have together. I'm looking back now, it's been seven years since I've been here and it just felt like home from that first month, I'd say. Like, as you said, it wasn't so much a long-term thing. It was pretty much make it up as you, as you go along kind of yeah. thing with a couple of grand in the bank or in the back <laughs> pocket. Like what, what led you to become a shark diver? So it's a pretty interesting story. And this is where, um, like we were kind of saying, I didn't, when I was younger and I was going through that hard time in college, I didn't really have a belief system. Um, Mm. I was never really a religious person. So I didn't really relate to that necessarily. And during those travels and those experiences, I kind of came up with my own belief system in a way. And that's what really like carried me all the way to Hawaii, all the way up to now, something that I practice that's ingrained in me. And that is just being able to, you know, get your mind right and the body will follow sort of thing. So I'm really um, big into just kind of remaining positive, positive thoughts, um, having faith, you know, being really grateful. And it's sort of that mentality of, you know, manifesting your dreams into reality and um, having like the universe and kind of going in to, you know, it will all work out and it's signs from the universe. And this is like kind of like the the mentality that I adapt now. If you read books like The Power of Now or The Secret and The Secret's a great one to just like for beginners, like get into something like this. And there's so many amazing um, books out there. So that's what I was do- also doing while I was traveling was like figuring out my own 
belief system because I think that's something that you have with you for life that you can fall back on. Um, and for me, it just wasn't religion. I wasn't relating to that, but definitely kind of like spirituality, if you want to call it. So when I got out here to Hawaii and I didn't know what was going to happen, I kind of like just jumped into a restaurant job. So actually my first job out here was just, you know, working at a yard house, which is a restaurant locally. But I think that really just taking, having that mindset of like, hey, you can do whatever you want to do. You can live your dreams. You know, it is a little bit harder sometimes to make these things happen. But if you're really persistent, if you do the work, if you stay positive um, and just focus on the good, then I just kind of followed the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that led me to where I'm at now. So it was a a series of a lot of steps. But for me, um, you know, being on a rock in the middle of the ocean, it definitely was undeniable. My love for the ocean from childhood just popped back into my, my mindset. It was very um, evident that, holy crap, this is why I was brought here. Like, I wouldn't have known it at the time, I don't think, but um, having that mindset and, and being really grateful and, and, just deciding um, how I wanted to live my life. I was like, oh my God, it brought me here for a reason. And that's just like what I've truly believed ever since of how how easily and well things kind of worked out for me. So from there, I just started scuba diving. You know, that was like kind of my main thing. And and I went all the way up to dive master and I was like leading dives that way and traveling as well to Thailand and different places and different islands and going diving. And um, then I started to get really interested in free diving, which I knew nothing about. But it just looked amazing. And for those of you out there that don't know, free diving is just diving down on a single breath. And it's really amazing what these people can do. I was seeing these people holding their breath for so long and diving down to these depths that is like hundreds of feet. You know, it's it's amazing. And you're like, wow, how can somebody do that? So it fascinated me so much when I went to Thailand. I actually took, that was my first course. Now I've taken three since then. Um, so if anybody really wants to get into it, I definitely highly recommend a course because it helps you with, uh, safety. You definitely want to know, you know, what you're doing and how to save somebody else, or how somebody else can save you, and how to avoid things like a blackout. So that's I'm, really I'm important. I'm sorry to interject. Like, what's what sort of things would you be taught on these these kind of courses yeah. as you suggested there? Like, as you said, blackouts because of the pressure. Like, how extensive are they? Are they a few days, few weeks, months? How do, how does it work? What is really amazing is that you can, as a full beginner, never did it before, on your first course, have the potential to reach 65 feet depth underwater and hold your breath for about a minute, just as a fresh, off the, never did it before kind of thing. It's really incredible what our bodies are just naturally capable of. And obviously, just like anything else, this practice gets better with practice, with time, just like if you were trying to learn how to play any other sport or do any other, you know, um, sort of medium. But with my first course and what I, again, what I recommend to any of you, and usually if you're traveling, you know, taking a holiday, going to a tropical location, you can find one of these courses. So it's really amazing. And what I loved about it is it really sort of connects the body to the mind. Mm -hmm. You learn breathing techniques. It's one of the first things that you learn because it's really imperative to sort of saturate your body with that oxygen, as well as with these breathing techniques, you're actually lowering your heart rate, all of which will help you dive deeper and stay down longer. So that was totally up my alley with 
you know, the spirituality aspect, you know, when I was traveling Thailand and stuff like that, I would go to different meditation groups. And this is kind of what I was after. So it kind of already fit into my spiritual practice. Um, When you're doing these breathing techniques, it's kind of like a natural calming. It's like a natural meditation. You're learning how to breathe, slow your heart rate. And then when you dive under the water, I mean, you are just filled with complete stillness. Um, The water you know, you only hear these little noises of like the ocean floor, or the animals around and everything else is just so quiet. And you can't really think about anything else. You're not going to be like, Oh, I need to check that text message. You know, yeah, I need right. to like, look at that email because you're fully in the moment, you're holding your breath, you're connecting with your body, you're under the water, you're focused in that moment. And like when you can be in the now like that, it's just such an incredible way to connect with yourself and and your spirituality and the universe. And so for me, it fully brought everything full circle. And at first I was just in it because I thought it looked cool. (laughs) I didn't really realize like the spiritual benefits. I was like, oh, these people can hold their breath. Like, that's awesome. I want to be able to hold my breath and stay underwater and interact with animals as long as I can. And so once I fully got into it, I'm like, wow, it's fully become a part of my life. And it's really amazing. And and that, what's your record time of kind of free diving? I know I need to actually like time it, <laughs> tr- time a little bit more. So I have done some courses. So within the courses, I've held my breath for over three minutes and gone to wow. depths of um, <laughs> about a hundred feet. But to be one hundred percent honest with you, with the skill levels that are out there, that's kind of like not even that impressive. Yeah. But I know I'm capable of of even more. It's just that like, I'm always diving with the sharks, which is just different than practicing freediving or competitive freediving, which is maybe something I'd want to do in the future. But yeah, if I spend a little bit more time, like actually enhancing that, but the difference, there is a difference with just like freediving for, for record and for depth and personal best and competitions versus uh, shark diving is actually really different. Surprisingly. I could imagine. So like, obviously when, you're doing free diving as opposed to shark diving, like how you move, how you present yourself to the shark would obviously play a huge role rather than, as you said, the only thing you're kind of concerned about when you're doing it yourself and there's nothing else there is, as you said, it's worrying about the oxygen, worry about yourself, that sense of stillness. So yeah, like, c- carrying forward what you've just even discussed and as you said, there was a bit of trial and error and where you went from a restaurant, et cetera. You then end up where you are today, which is one ocean dive. And so, first of all, were you on board with the whole philosophy that that company now has, or did it take time for you to bed in? Well, my background is ecotourism. So that's the first degree that I got when I was back in Philadelphia. So I knew that I wanted to, you know, spread practices that were better for our planet. So I was always kind of into. Once I kind of got out of my like 18 year old selfish ways and traveled and all of that, you know, you kind of go outside yourself at that point. You're like, how can I like better the planet, whether it be people or the environment or whatever. So I kind of knew I was like, hey, ecotourism, I can like interact with people, maybe do tours, maybe work in hotels, but all kind of have like an eco conscious about it. So that was already in a weird way, my background. Um, but then when I got out here and I started doing my diving, I went back to school for the marine option program at UH and was learning even more, um, as well as I went on James, 
James Cook University, actually online, I did this uh, shark specialty class. So it's been really amazing. And that didn't, I didn't really start to get into that until I went to One Ocean Diving. So I had a One Ocean, I met Ocean. And we just became fast friends, um, you know, both like ocean lovers and she was really sweet. And um, so when I met her um, and Juan, now my two best friends, roommates, and co-founders of the company. But when I met them, I was just like, wow, what you guys are doing is amazing. I had seen videos of ocean, you know, swimming alongside a great white. I was just in absolute awe. And I was like, I want to come diving with you guys. And they were so open. I'm like, yeah, come out with us. And so they, they took me diving. And, um, of course I was nervous, right? Like first shark dive, I don't care who you are. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to be nervous most likely. So, um, and it's sad because really only that's just like the media has told you to, to be scared of sharks, which we'll get into later. But, um, so I was a little nervous, but I was still a hundred percent down. I trusted them. I trusted the experience. So as soon as my mask hit the water and I was swimming around, I was like, wow, these guys really are not, you know, trying to hurt me in any way. They're just swimming around doing their own thing. Like it sounds silly, but think of being in like a fish bowl, except they're just bigger fish and they have teeth, but they're not trying to like bite you or go out of their way they're actually more scared of you than you are of them and that's how most of nature works like out now to this day i've swam with like a great white i've swam with alligators you know what i mean and most of nature really is more afraid of you than you are of them they're kind of like weary of your presence you kind of have to go out of your way to really piss off nature for them want to want to retaliate so um once my mask hit the water it was absolute in all um and I thought that they were just incredible. They were beautiful, the way that they moved throughout the water. And the water was just like this royal blue, electric blue. And then coming back on the boat, you know, Ocean told us about all the plight of sharks. And I was like, wow, I need to get involved in this. Like, I feel like calm, like being called Mm. to this. So um, from there, it just, yeah, kind of escalated. And she was like, okay, well, you know, the company was really new. So um, in the beginning, there wasn't a need for an extra employee. Like it was literally just like her and Juan doing this thing, which was awesome. Um, so I started just doing reef and beach cleanups and other volunteer aspects with them and coming diving and serving the sharks and helping collect data. I was just like kind of helping. And then as soon as it started to grow, um, the message started to get out there, which was amazing. Then they brought me on board. So, um, I was, yeah, super stoked, super, super happy to be a part of this. I just felt called to it you know, from the moment that I got to see a shark on my own. Well, that's the volunteering uh, coming back uh, in your favor in your previous yeah. uh, year spent. But you, you slightly touched on it there with regards to, as you were saying, when you first went in, you were a bit nervous or scared, whatever way you want to frame it. And like my whole take on the media or society's outlook towards sharks is, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, by the way. This is purely my opinion. It could easily be wrong. So, like, it, it, it stems ultimately, in my view, from, you know, the several incidents during wars when the media would talk about, you know, downed ships or airplanes. And after there was a few attacks with regards to sharks or even the most famous one is, in my opinion, the film Jaws and how these how those moments had such a massive effect on society, but ultimately had a very negative effect on how sharks were viewed by the public in general. And it just seemed to me that, and even doing a bit of reading on it, there was shark hunts, you know, kind of came into the, kind of came to the fore after the Jaws film, not mainly because of it, but just because the media kind of jumped on the bandwagon mm-hmm. and people thought it was a bit more appropriate to, to maybe go after these so-called monsters so the work you're obviously doing now 
is geared towards changing that perception of sharks and how how they treat humans and how humans can interact and learn from them but i suppose the question i'd like to ask you is obviously you think this can be turned around this whole society view on sharks but like is it going to take quite a while because there's still a bit of restriction i'd imagine and you look even every year or two and in cinemas you've got some ridiculous shark film coming out where jason statham is fighting off a 40 meter shark so do you still feel it would take it would take a substantial amount of time for the rest of society to get on the same train as you so to speak yeah, you know, it is sad these movies are still coming out, like The Meg, yeah. The Shallows, 47 Meters Down. These movies are all recent. And um, you can really just tell if you actually know sharks and you watch these movies, you're like, oh, my God, this is really uh, poorly done. Like, this isn't um, yeah. good quality or anything yeah. like that. So it's kind of actually comical, these movies, to me by now. But, um, it, you know, they're just interested in the ratings and making something look really scary and intense is going to sell more than um, the reality of the situation. So uh, what's really cool, though, is I am starting to see um, more people interested in swimming with sharks. So I think, you know, we're getting busier and busier over here. More and more people want to come out diving with us, which is absolutely amazing. They want to kind of face this fear. So I think to some level, people are starting to realize it. But I think, you know, these major motion pictures are not helping. Um, The problem is, is that if people are afraid of sharks, Um, then they don't care about what's happening to them. That's the real issue with this whole thing is if people are scared of something, they're not going to want to save it. They're not going to want to protect it. And we actually need that for sharks now more than ever um, because of shark finning and shark fin soup. And the reality of the situation is, is actually really scary. Not the films, but the reality is scary. We shouldn't fear sharks. We should fear for them because they're being killed at literally a rate of 70 to 100 million every single year. So our goal um, in putting out these you know, images or videos or taking people out every single day is to change those perceptions. So, hey, we can get more people actually on our side that want to speak up for sharks, that want to do something about it, that want to help these guys, or um, even just bring that awareness so the demand for their fins and for their meat is, is going down, you know, because if if people in these these Asian countries where the shark fin soup is being consumed, if they see this, they actually start to love sharks. You know, they're going to start to pledge not to eat something that you know it's not it's not necessarily their fault or anything. It's just this has been in their culture for a really long time, so it's kind of hard to change something like that. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of um, education is the number one mm. thing. But we're super lucky and we're super blessed because. We just had that amazing encounter with a great white and those images made it all around the world. So from there, you know, and even places like Japan and different parts of Asia. So that allowed us to show sharks in a new light. And the truth is like, hey, look at, you know, blonde girl gets eaten in Jaws, but blonde girl is like (laughs) totally fine in the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice when we get to and, you know, have be on podcasts like this, we can actually tell people about it. So so that's what we love to do is just is just speak up for the animals. So they're not believing just what they see at face value because the media often lies to us about a lot of things. So you should always try to question it and, and think of what you truly believe in, you know. Like as as you mentioned, there's what was it seventy to a hundred million sharks are are killed, and it's it's mainly as you said for the shark fin soup or for their meat, and 
like I was reading there on average, there's only about four or five people that are actually killed by sharks as well. And a majority of them are mistaken identity. So it's quite important that uh, the ratio needs to be adjusted severely because I just think it's absolutely ridiculous how not only like just the, even the images you'd find of shark fin soup is just the fact that they literally just take the fins off the sharks, throw them on the floor and just let them bleed out or else they're already dead by them. But it's not, Mm -hmm. they're literally taking three, 4% of the entire shark and then wasting the rest. So it's, it's something that does need a change. And as you said, there are certain countries that kind of grew up thinking this was the norm. And as you were saying recently, you touched on it there, the deep blue, great white shark and for anyone who hasn't seen it yet it's this giant shark six meters probably bigger than the one that was uh, made up in jaws so Mm -hmm. like just to the people listening who were trying to convert here and trying to say that you know they're not what jaws one jaws two jaws three etc throw at us like what um what sort of experiences and what have you learned from sharks that through your own experiences of diving with them that basically other people wouldn't know. Yes, that is such a good point. Um, What a lot of people don't know is that sharks are actually really polite predators. (laughs) They are predators. They are apex predators. I'm not trying to say that these guys are puppy dogs. Anybody should jump in. Anybody (laughs) should go swim with the great white. That is not what we're trying to portray at all. We definitely Mm -hmm. say, you know, go with a trained professional, come out with us at One Ocean Diving. You know, we're off the coast of Oahu, North Shore. We would love to take anybody out, any skill level. It's totally doable. It's totally safe, 100% perfect safety record. But what we kind of know that other people might not know is that sharks are actually communicating with each other and they're communicating with us. And it's just about learning their body language, their behavior, their swim patterns, and knowing when it is safe to get in the water, when they're they're totally fine with your presence, and when you might want to, hey, back off, these guys are being a little territorial, or, you know, a bait ball of fish just came around, now they're hunting, like, stuff like that is really important um, when you're about to dive with sharks. What, what sort of characteristics or body language things do you have to look out for as you said for when they're in hunting mode or when they're in kind of i'm here just to chill out and have a swim mode let me even take it back one step further before you even enter the water say you're going to go swim at a beach somewhere like that before you even get in you can already start looking around and first of all just having that knowledge like hey I am entering the shark's territory. This is their home. This is where they live. They live in the ocean. You know, you don't see them trying to come up on land and disturb our home, you know? So you have (laughs) to take that into consideration and have that respect. I'd say is really huge. Humility, huge when you're swimming with sharks. So, and never getting complacent, always just knowing that these are apex predators. So take all that into consideration first. Next, you want to start looking around at your environment. Is the water really murky. These guys rely heavily on their eyesight, eye contact. They're always looking around trying to figure out what stuff is, like when they can eat something, when there is other predators around, you know, they're, they're scanning their environment. They're always looking. So you want to look around. If the water's clear, that's better. They'll be able to see you, understand what you are a little bit better. Also, are you near a harbor mouth or a river mouth? A lot of times, especially harbor mouth, you'll get fishermen 
cutting up their catch for the day um, and just dumping it right there in the harbor rather than offshore where it should be dumped. But a lot of times they just want to fish, 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 come on in, you know, dump everything in there. Um, and that could be actually calling sharks in closer to that opening. So you never really want to swim near a harbor mouth or river mouth. You definitely run more of a risk. Are you in an area where tiger sharks could hunt? You know, for example, are there prey around? Are there a bunch of sea turtles around? You know, if you're swimming with sea turtles, that's fine. Maybe look around. This could be a spot tigers often go to find, you know, easy prey, stuff like that. So you just have to have that that education, that knowledge. Are there fishermen around? Fishing off the coast, spear fishermen, do you see their flags? Um, if you're surfing, try to surf in groups, strength in numbers. So there's a lot of tips before you even enter the water. Then say you are diving in the water with sharks. Um, there's things that they're going to tell you and there's things that you can do to not get mistaken by anything. So firstly, um, if the sharks are totally normal, um, you know, you, you will see them kind of, especially if they're a schooling species, if there's multiple sharks around, you can see them kind of interact with each other. They can even swim side by side, kind of eye each other up. They can maybe cut each other off, kind of bump, bump one out of the way. And they're just trying to compete for dominance. Think of like, you take your dogs to the dog park, right? There's going to be ways yeah. that they're competing for dominance, whether they're biting each other's ankles or trying to pin each other down. Sharks have the same thing. Um, birds in a tree, there's a pecking order, you know, all social animals around the world and sharks are no different. So they could actually be stacking up on top of each other, kind of pushing each other away from any sources of interest, anything that they're interested in checking out. It could be a food source, female shark, if there's, um, you know, a bunch of males around and, and things like that. If, what you do want to look for if they're getting a little bit more assertive, because just how they swim around and follow each other right on the tail and stuff, that's all kind of normal. Um, but if they start to actually drop their pectoral fins and sort of arch their back, think of like a cat on Halloween. You approach a cat, they're <laughs> arching, they're hissing, you know, you know, okay, I'm not going to mess with that animal. So you just want to look for those body um, cues. And, and you know, some can be found online, but the arching of their back, if they're obviously snapping their jaw open, you know, any animal showing their teeth is not uh, very keen on our presence. So Things yeah. like that. It sounds a little obvious. Then you just want to remove yourself from the situation. You know, not a good time to swim with these animals. Have that respect. Don't get complacent. You know, be humble. Like these animals live here. I'm going to leave their territory. I'm going to leave their area. But what you want to do as the swimmer is try not to splash around too much. You know, that low frequency of your fin or hand splashing at the surface, as well as all that whitewash and that appealing looking disturbance. They just want to go check it out. So, um, you know, they might want to come up a little bit closer. So you don't want to be too attractive for these guys like splashing at the surface. Um, you want to look around. Looking around is like 95% of the whole thing of swimming with sharks really sounds too easy. Um, but you want to look around. You want to look them in the eyes, make eye contact, look behind you. Just know what's going on all around you. That is very, very important. Um, making that eye contact, they actually just respect you as an equal apex predator, which they normally do based on our size anyway. You know, sharks generally are going to eat things smaller than us unless it's a very large species of shark. Um, but if you can just make that eye contact look around try to keep your hands in you know if a shark's going to come up to you if you have a gopro pole on you or a fin you know try to give them something plastic don't don't give them your hand your body part kind of thing so mm -hmm. there's a lot that you can do and we love to teach people that um, at one ocean diving so we really invite anybody to come out and learn from us that way they can fully understand how to interact with the animals and then it's amazing because there's shark diving all over the world and it's really fun and we highly recommend it it's interesting talking about this because I'm sure my brother will get along to listen to this, but on our bucket list, it is to go shark diving. Yes. Um, 
down the line and it is definitely something that we uh we'll be listening to this with reference points when we uh, eventually do do it but you were saying there how it's you were comparing the shark to any other type of animal but as you said what you can control is your actions and how you present yourself to the shark and also from what the shark gives you like for instance as you said is there a huge difference from you say going into swim with deep blue that great white shark that was six meters or say a tiger shark or a bull shark or a white tip like is there is it kind of like it nearly dogs as well i might sound a bit ignorant mm-hmm. here but like do each each shark have their own personality yes 100 percent um not only I mean, there's over 400 species of shark in the world, and each species is going to behave a little bit differently. But then also each individual shark of the same species could behave entirely differently. So you really have to be on your game, never getting complacent, always looking around, just having that awareness. Um, For example, like we would not recommend people go swim with a great white. Um, Well, one, obviously we have you know, that experience. And we've been doing it for a long time and we know what to look for and, and things like that. But this particular great white was very, very chilled out. She was, you know, likely pregnant and had been likely feeding on whale the entire night. So she was like very content, very full, very slow moving. Um, it was pretty hard for her to like turn her body around and things like that. Um, whereas, you know, if we had come across maybe a younger shark and that goes back to like me being a younger human, you know, you're like, you take more risks. You're not as like knowledgeable. You haven't been around long enough. You, you're just kind of ignorant to things and versus like an older shark is going to be like, okay, I know how things go. I'm not going to take all these risks. I want to survive. I'm programmed to survive. Like I know what I'm supposed to eat. I know what's food. I know what's not food. I've been around for a long time. So if we had come across, you know, maybe like a juvenile male who's like a little bit more spunky and a little bit more aggro at that time, you know, perhaps it would have been less safe and we would have hopped out of the water and that's no problem. But we just happened to have this like perfect like grandma shark that was like cruising around so full, so heavy. Like I really feel like I would have had to throw my whole arm down her throat in order to get bit because it was really easy to get out of her way if she was kind of coming up to you, you know, kind of thing like that. So, um, it wouldn't necessarily work out the same way with just any shark. And that goes back to just knowing what you're looking for, I think. And uh, like, there has been a, a good bit of press about the, about the interaction you, you and the rest of the crew had with that great white. And on the, on the back of that, it seems that you are, you're pushing as well for a bit of publicity about the harmful things being done for sharks. And can you just tell us a bit about what you're doing and your coworkers are doing with regards to kind of raising awareness for these sharks and stuff like shark fin soup, like what is currently being done to stop this continuing? Yeah. So we definitely are kind of striking right now while the iron's hot, while, while we were able to have this amazing interaction with the shark, people kind of really got interested. And this is like the 20th podcast I've done, but I'm happy to do them. We're all happy to do them because we want to get this message out there as best as we can. And so essentially the real plight of sharks in general is just commercialized fishing. So the way that we fish nowadays, you know, long lining, trawling or different types of netting, um, it can lead to a lot of bycatch and bycatch is just what 
people are catching, but they didn't even want to catch, but you know, they do get killed in the process. Like if you're looking to catch ahi, but you catch a shark, you know, that shark probably just died on the line, but you didn't even need it or want it. And it probably just gets tossed back into the ocean. But so that's a huge issue. Um, as well as the shark fin soup, as we said, where, where sharks are actually killed just for their fins. And so the finning of the sharks happens all over the entire world. The demand exists in China, but the finning actually usually happens in third world countries. Like Indonesia, for example, is the largest exporter of shark fins. Um, and you can check this out. And they're the, it's the largest fishing um, industry in the world, uh, shark fishing industry in the world. You can check this out on one of um, my good friends, uh, one of our teammates instagram's coco cuvier so check that out and you'll actually see images from this shark fishery uh so what um what we're trying to do right now there's a few different amazing campaigns going on where we're trying to get some laws set in place for the protection of these animals because i think really you need the laws and then you need it to be enforced so we're kind of still at step one we're very lucky that in Hawaii, they banned shark finning in 2010 because we're realizing, hey, this is just like taking all of our sharks here. Um, but we still have some some work to do. So what we're working on right now at One Ocean Diving is to get protection, full protection for sharks and rays in Hawaiian waters, which means if somebody purposely catches a shark, because that's the thing, they can't fin a shark here, but yes, they could still take the shark kill the shark, still catch the shark, just they can't only take the fins, which just seems like, okay, at that point, then they're just going to take the whole animal, you know, and even still here, mm. just a couple months ago, there was an illegal finning operation discovered. So we do need more protection for these animals, even though finning is illegal here, there was still a bunch of guys from Indonesia caught trying to export trying to smuggle the shark fins out of the airport just in their luggage, like literally a couple months ago. So we're, you know, advocating for laws. Um, this if you guys want to follow along with ours, you can write in to the local lawmakers here, it doesn't matter if you're in Hawaii or not as a resident. But you can follow our Instagram, just follow along with One Ocean Diving or Ocean Ramsey. Um, she's always posting a lot about the bill that we're trying to pass right now. So that's what we're working on here. But out of Florida, these amazing people like Jim Abernathy are working on getting the import and export of fins through Florida banned. So that is something that we're really supporting as well. And we're writing in public comment as well as signing the petitions. And we really advise all of you guys to do the same. It's sad. It's kind of like a state by state basis. We really just need like one big federal law, but that is a lot harder to obtain. So what we're trying to do now is just support um, any of the bills for more protection of these guys here locally. So we can at least get the U.S., not to be an importer and an exporter because the problem is, is that somebody could be thinning something in South America and use the U.S. still shipping through the U.S. to get to Asia. So if we can cut off that stream, they'll have to find alternate routes. And we're just trying to make it a little more difficult, essentially. And you mentioned it there, and I know you've you've brought up the the catching of the sharks and shark fins, stuff like that. And you mentioned Indonesia there, but also what, like, Another big aspect of the ocean, and it does directly uh, affect sharks and other fish, is, is plastic pollution in the oceans. And countries like Indonesia and China are the world's biggest contributors to that. So, like, what, what can countries like that, I know it's quite simple to just say, don't put rubbish in an ocean, but mm -hmm. like, what can these countries or any country 
do to change their ways and stop polluting the ocean because it is it is infecting number one the animals within that and the fishes but it also is actually affecting our uh our universe as a whole as well absolutely it's such a big issue um so just going back, the, the real issue is single-use plastic because that's plastic that you're just going to pick up, use one time, and then it goes right in the trash, you know? So I'm not saying like, oh, plastic should be banned because sometimes, you know, it can be really helpful for life or things that we need or whatever, but single-use is a really big problem. So I think as consumers, we can all make more of a conscious choice, which is always amazing to use um reusable water bottles, reusable bags, you know, carry a straw with you or a utensil. Obviously that only goes so far as a consumer, but it is, it is a big help, you know, to do that. So I would always encourage people to do that. But I do think these big businesses, we really need to, again, it all comes back into laws and um, policies and what these big businesses have to follow. Because Honestly, they're just really in it for the money. And even here, we banned a plastic bag in Hawaii. And then these large companies like Walmart and places like that are coming out with just thicker plastic bags and calling them reusable when people just still treat them in the same fashion. Now they're just thicker. And then the problem, especially being here somewhere in Hawaii, but all over the world, is that animals like sea turtles um, could ingest this stuff. Um, Whales, you're seeing whales all around the world, sperm whales washing up dead pilot whales with plastic full in their stomachs as well as seabirds. So I really think it comes down to um, we as as people in the place that we live need to start using our voices to speak up for these animals that don't have voices. And it all comes down to holding these big co- um, companies accountable and by making laws that they have to follow um, and being really clear about that because they will look for every single loophole. It's a long journey and that's what we're discovering here, even just fighting you know, for our sharks. And we do contribute you know, like with the other bills, like um, for other, other issues as well, we will voice our support. Obviously the sharks for us is just, that's our passion. So that's our number one focus, but we still do, you know, um, contribute with these other bills about like banning plastic and styrofoam. Styrofoam's up this year uh, and we're hoping to get that banned. So it's a long journey and it can be really frustrating. And honestly, like the law side of everything and, and going into speak with your local lawmakers, it can be a really taunting, tedious experience. And I mean, this is the third year in a row we've done the shark bill and we get shut down, you know, at the very last stage every year, but you have to just keep going. You have to keep persisting. Um, and hopefully one day, you know, that, that change will happen. And, and that's what we're hoping for, but it's a long road. (laughs) It is, it is, but it's one, um, that me and hopefully a lot of the listeners uh, take to, and I'll, I'll make sure I'll leave all the necessary links because it is it's it's the work like this that although as you're saying it is that kind of minuscule steps it's that step one that if they were to take place and if you were to take step two step three step four and progress it up the up the ladder it would make a substantial difference not just for ourselves but also for sharks and other types of species the whole but, ocean. yeah and that does affect us and i love that you said it like that because baby steps still propel you forward and that's a really important thing to remember, you know, even if it seems like such a small step, even if it got shut down at the very last 
step and you have to fight again next year, it's really important because it's still putting it in people's minds. Baby steps still propel you forward. And you know, this stuff even it doesn't just affect the ocean, it's just out of sight, out of mind. It affects us as well. Because if anybody out there eats fish, you are actually consuming the chemicals that are in plastic because in this day and age, it is like impossible all the fish have plastic particles in them that they're eating and mistaking as food. And those chemicals are going directly back into our bodies. If you guys want to see a really uh, clear example of that, I highly recommend this documentary called A Plastic Ocean, usually found on Netflix or iTunes, somewhere like that. (laughs) Check it out and you will see exactly how every step of that food chain works and how we're actually then ingesting that as well. Wow. That's some uh, troop bombs there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, Kaylee, that more or less concludes the, the formal part of the podcast. And traditionally, I, I tend to finish with a quick fire round. So if it's all right, I'll ask you a few quick, mm-hmm. qu- quick fire questions okay. and uh, I'll then let you go on and enjoy the rest of your day. Sounds so good. Um, the first question I have is what is the stra- strangest thing you've seen while diving underwater? Okay, it's got to be the two rough toothed dolphins rubbing on the nose of a great white shark because yeah, that's just, (laughs) I feel like I've peaked. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to ever see anything cooler than that. That is, that's crazy. Crazy. (laughs) Check out the videos on my Instagram and yeah, for anybody that wants to see it or any of our, um, cam grand photography, one ocean diving, Juan sharks, ocean Ramsey, any of these Instagrams. Yeah. You'll see some amazing footage of dolphins with a great white, which was just mind blowing. And next up, uh, what is your favorite type of shark? For me personally, it's a tiger shark. They're really misunderstood. People are really afraid of tiger sharks. They think they're one of the most aggressive sharks in the ocean. They're actually scavengers. They like things that are dead. They don't want to do a lot of work. They're like couch potatoes of the sea, garbage men of the sea. They just clean up everything that's dead. And they're really slow moving and really peaceful. And they're really amazing animals. Beautiful stripes too. Like the pattern on them is just like nature's perfection. So. Yeah, no, visually they're pretty, pretty stunning sharks. As, uh, sharks are to go by. Next is your favorite film of all time. And obviously I'm not expecting you say uh, The Meg or Jaws 3D. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, so it's so hard to narrow it down to one, but I would definitely recommend people go watch Shark Water or Racing Extinction. And I already named A Plastic Ocean, but my favorite film is probably not even out yet because it will be out this year. It's called Saving Jaws by our co-founders, Ocean Ramsey and Juan Oliphant. It will be on Amazon, hopefully in the next year. So once that comes out, that will be my favorite film and everyone should go check it out. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. And what is what is the worst advice you see or hear being given in your world? I think not necessarily advice that's given, but the, the worst like perception, what people take from our situation is that like, Some people think that we're trying to encourage everybody to go in and just jump in with a shark, but that's not what we're doing. We're trying to say, go experience sharks with a guided professional. So that misunderstanding is probably the worst because we definitely want to educate people in a proper way. We're not just saying, hey, anybody can go just jump in with a great white. So that's probably the worst advice or misconception I've seen out there. And the last one is describe yourself in three words. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Um, yeah, everyone struggles with it. <laughs> I would say passionate, um, dedicated, and um, caring. 
Fantastic. Not to toot my um, own horn, but <laughs> I've <laughs> heard worse. So I've actually hard. heard a lot you don't worse. Wanna, yeah, you don't want to just say all these things about yourself. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. But um, Kelly, that more or less concludes the podcast. So I want to thank you for coming on and talking about the insights into your work and the welfare of sharks and the future of our ocean. So I thank you so much for that. And I'll make sure I'll leave plenty of links for anyone who's interested in seeing your work and also Ocean Ramsey's work and any other of the work that's uh, trying to make the future of sharks that bit better and also our ocean. So I just want to say thank you and I wish you all the best in the thank near future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me out. We love to, you know, like spread this message, especially while uh, people are really interested in it. So we're striking while the iron's hot, but I hope that you and your brother make it out here to Hawaii. So you'll have to let me know <laughs> if you do, and we are going to throw you in the water with sharks, but I'll be there as well. So it'll be all good. I definitely will do that. So, I'll, and my brother will hear this. So, we'll yes, make sure that if we if we do do that time, we will be doing it in Hawaii. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> no worries. Thank you.